The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, Squawk Pod. You'll get interviews and behind-the-scenes access. Look for us on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod, the daily podcast brought to you by the team behind Squawk Box. NYC, this is CNBC Control 2. CNBC's essential morning show. PCR 2. Every day, get the best stories, debate, and analysis from the biggest names in business and politics. All right, we're coming to it next. Today on Squawk Pod. Bill Gates, world's biggest taxpayer. I've paid over $10 billion in taxes. I've paid more uh, than anyone in taxes. The second richest man, pretty good person to ask about the wealth debate. Pulitzer Prize winner Tom Friedman on high stakes in the trade war. A senior Chinese official said to me, Mr. Friedman, you're too late. We're too big. And dine-in promiscuity. How do you like your delivery? I do hold the croutons, but actually it comes with uh, Parmesan chips. Andrew, Joe, and Melissa Lee ask the CEO of Postmates what's on the menu. Taco Bell. Grubhub is Taco Bell. Those stories and more. Let's get the billionaires. Let's get them all. Let's storm the gates. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. It's Thursday, November 7th, 2019. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Andrew by. Up and Andrew. Here. Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We're live at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin, along with Joe Kernan and Melissa Lee, who's hanging out with us this morning. Is this the first time on the new, on set. The new set here with us? Becky's it's got the day off. Thrilling. It's thrilling so yes. far. It's thrilling one minute into the show. <laughs> uh, one minute. One minute and it's thrilling. You know what? Call her Let's in three hours. She, she meant that. Uh, you meant that totally seriously. I meant that seriously. She meant that seriously and genuinely. First up on today's podcast, breaking news overnight. China's Commerce Ministry announced that the U.S. and China have agreed to roll back the tariffs that were imposed during the trade war in phases. There's no timetable or location planned for a deal signing, at least not yet. Here's Joe. China trade comments du jour. And the du jour is the, yes. Yesterday, the du jour comment was, you know, that we won't, be ready for Brazil or whatever, wherever they were thinking. Nothing till December. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we were up 80 and we go to zero. So, I mean, think about that. It's, it's it can flip really basis quick. points on, on really the averages. And today it's up, but it's still it's not a percent. So, But it's up close to record but highs. But it is. We're, we're, we're maintaining we that neighborhood to, of yes. record highs. New York uh, Knicks owner Jim Dolan is reportedly being encouraged to sell stakes in the... Wow, I've not heard that from wow. Andrew ever. This is good news. I know we're not supposed to editorialize, but this is the best. Have you news. ever heard Andrew never Howell New like that? Never. I grew up with the Knicks. You know we're talking about sports. It's been devastating. <laughs> devastating. I grew up, I mean, I was a Patrick Ewing Knicks fan, and this has been just a, a treacherous. You know what? I can like, identify with decades, you. Decades. I can identify with you because of Mike Brown in Cincinnati owning the Bengals. Um, you know, so... Anyway, uh, as well as the New York Rangers. So you think both could benefit from... Possibly. The Rangers, the Rangers are actually done okay, but yeah. They have, although the I don't know been... any of the Rangers anymore. That's true. Got rid of everyone. The New York Post says that uh, activist investor Cliff Robbins 
trying to get Madison Square Garden uh, CEO Dolan to find minority buyers for the teams uh, in advance of a separation of MSG Sports uh, properties from other assets. Robbins reportedly said the Knicks uh, and Rangers could be worth more than $7 billion instead of a valuation that Forbes has. It's pegged at about $5.5 billion. We've hit Cliff on. We've had Cliff, of course. I don't know if this is doable is the real issue, though. By the way, the other thing, you know, Cliff has always been a activist investor, but, you know, what what do they say? Nice activist, meaning friendly, friendly activist. So I don't know how far he can push this. The Dolans obviously control the company. From a fan standpoint, why does this matter? Who owns it? Why does it matter? Have you not seen what's going on? Have you seen the Knicks in the last two decades to run a, a team? And, and it might not include winning. I mean, there's um, no winning. No, I mean, oh, I understand Phil that there's Jackson's no winning. Everybody's coming. I mean, there's like musical chairs. Because like, they're the, not hiring the right coaches just, and all yeah, that. They're, they're moving the deck chairs around the Titanic. You do have to, I mean, it's a weird combination of spending enough money, but knowing how to spend the money mm-hmm. in, in the right way, get the right people, not only the players, but also So this could be good for MSG, motivation. the stock. Could be, could be good for the stock. Could yeah. be good for the city. How long has it been? Could be good for the NBA. By the way. Right. The other owners in the NBA have for so long wanted the Knicks to do well because it would help everything. Right. Anyway. All right. But this could be fascinating news. I, I, you woo. I'm not supposed to root. I'm not supposed to root. Am I supposed to root for an activist investor? This is sort of an interesting situation. In this case, I might have to root for I'd him. I'd just like to see you excited about Can I get you on DraftKings with me? So we can... Uh, <laughs> you want me to show you how to do it? You get in, you know, right before the show starts. Yep. So I did not really get to talk to you enough about yesterday. And um, because I, you know, we're on the air, we don't, you know, commercial breaks are so short. I think we need to, what was the lead? What, what happened yesterday? What can you tell me? Give me something. I'll be on, it was, we'll talk about it. I will say it, it, was, it felt magical. There were all sorts of fascinating things. If you do say so yourself. If, it's no, it, it was, it was no, 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 tremendous. I, I saw that picture yesterday. of you walking by, that, that sign of you, that really good, where you look really like a great Was there great? You That's, saw that. You tweeted it. It was beautiful. You were walking by, and it says, deal book, yes. founder. Uh, oh, and, it's yeah. an electronic screen. They changed. Oh, was it electronic? Changes. That was major. Changes. For me, major. Was it? Well, was major. I'm, I'm starting to realize who I'm dealing with here. Another day, another billionaire crossing swords with presidential candidate Senator Elizabeth Warren. This time at the New York Times Dealbook Conference hosted by our Andrew Ross Sorkin. It was the world's second richest man. Billionaire Microsoft founder Bill Gates uh, drawing the attention of Senator Elizabeth Warren. This after uh, a comment uh, that uh, he made yesterday with me at the New York Times Dealbook Conference. I've uh, paid over $10 billion in taxes. I've paid more uh, than anyone in taxes, uh, but I, you know, I'm glad to have paid, you know, if I'd had to pay 20 billion, it's fine. Uh, but, you know, when you say I should pay 100 billion, okay, then I'm starting to do a little math about uh, what I have left over, sorry. Uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, so you really want the incentive system to be there and you can go a long ways without threatening that. Have you ever talked to Elizabeth Warren? About any of this before? Would you? Would you want to? You know, I'm not sure how open-minded she is. uh, (laughs) uh, Or that she'd even be willing to sit down with somebody, you know, who has uh, large amounts of money. Well, we might be brokering the peace here because now Senator Warren says she would be willing to meet uh, with Bill Gates. She tweeted last night, I'm always happy to meet with people, even if we have different views. Bill Gates, if we get the chance, I'd love to explain exactly how much you'd pay under my wealth tax. 
I promise it's not $100 billion. Um, some others, by the way, have done the math. On an annual basis, it would be an additional probably $6 billion right. uh, on his uh, current wealth, depending In- on... Including the capital gains piece of the wealth tax? Um, it might be a to- he might be paying total of a $12 billion, mm-hmm. uh, but it sounds to me like he already may be paying close to $6 billion as, as it is, right. as it is yeah. on an annual basis. So it would be an additional $6 billion, give, give or take a couple billion uh, here or there. You know, what's so interesting about Bill Gates is he does, and he's a big advocate for all sorts of progressive tax systems and talks about bringing the estate tax, but doing all sorts of things. Um, but when it comes to the, the wealth tax itself, at that 6% level, I think there's a, he has a bit of a different view. And I don't think it's um, out of some effort to, to save his own money. I think it's a philosophical view. Well, um, that's what I was saying. That that it's, that's my... I, I'm not even close. I know it's a shock to you, but I'm not even close <laughs> to a billionaire. So, and, and I have spent a lot of time, um, you know, sort of defending that position. Right. And, you know, I see the way that it's portrayed on you know, certain venues recently. You know, comedy, they're making, they're joking about it. I, I get that. But, I, you know, I'm not sticking my neck. Why, why, why should I philosophically defend that when all you're going to be is, is, is the target of a class warfare Argument. So forget it. Here's my only problem, Andrew. I just don't want to look at people like Gates or Lee Cooperman or any of these people as, as a negative to society. I, I, we all have to decide whether it really is a zero-sum game or whether you can actually create wealth and do some really great things in your life. And so I, think- I, I think Bill Gates, I look at that $10 billion that he pays and I think that is really, really great that this man in his life is in a position to pay $10 billion in taxes that can be used for all the things that, that we want to try right. to do. I don't think he stole $10 billion that you, that you would divvy it up between all the people that are unable to have that $10 because he has a $10 billion. Right. I don't think it's a zero-sum game. And that's, what, that's the mentality that really drives me crazy. And, and, so it, and that's not even including philanthropic efforts of a Bill Gates right. or a Lee Cooper. And think about what these guys do. Just in taxes, what they right. pay, what the employees that, that many of them generated the jobs that the employees have, uh, the taxes that they pay, the right. shareholders that, are, that, that pay taxes, you know, maybe not enough. But think of all the, and then throw on that the giving pledge Lee Cooperman right. signed or, or and now they're the object of all this derision and what he's crying about his money. Yeah, I don't know if you've seen the clip. Yeah, but well, it, of course it's it is. totally skewed and, and it's not fair and it's funny, but. Hey, count me out, man. I'm not ending up on any clip. Look, let's get the billionaires. Let's get them all. So interesting. I'm so, with you. Let's let's storm the gates. Do whatever I, you're we not, need to you're do. You're not with me. Turn Look, them upside down. I, I said like yesterday it. when I was introducing Bill Gates. Bill Gates to me is the most consequential individual, singularly, but there are, of but our entire of this entire era. It both doesn't in terms have of what to be him. It could be him. It could be any. It could be Druckenmiller. Any of these guys that do all this incredible stuff. In, in addition to paying right. huge tax bills and that, but, through their but, career. But one of the things that I would say, and I think this is true of what Bill was saying yesterday, is there is all sorts of other low-hanging fruit that could be. And, and I think pushing back for as long as, I think with a pushback over time against raising capital gains, against carried interest, against all of these other things along the way has created this time and this moment. Meaning, I think, frankly, from a quote, fairness perspective, had, all, had, some of these other, had some of these things that just seemed so out of whack been dealt with, I don't think we'd be dealing with 
these ideas, we, which now seem so extreme. Even if we've been so taxing all along, we wouldn't have to this point in time where people are demanding there's higher enough. wealth taxes? There's never enough. No, 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 no. I don't think it's never enough. I think if you look at... Oh, can we talk about what we're going to spend it on? We haven't said a word about whether we're going to spend I'm, this... Look, I'm not, I'm not an advocate, reduction. I'm not an advocate of the wealth tax. I would tell you, by the way... No, but what do we, why do we spend so much time talking about getting the money when we don't even know how to spend it effectively when we do get it? Why don't... Half the discussion should be about how we how we uh, equalize I'm not, opportunity. I'm not, I'm not what gonna, we do with school. I'm not what we do with I'm not going to disagree with, with that. Huh? I'm not going to disagree with that. All right, but, well, I, but I was. But the say, side that, that, that Elizabeth Warren, I, I don't know. Maybe she does have. Just, what's so fast? Did you guys see? There was a piece by Neil Irwin yesterday uh, in the Times that did fascinate me. The genuinely. London Times, the New York Times, because oh, he no, because what he you know how he described the wealth tax as a tax, not like a, a traditional tax, but like a cigarette tax. Because the goal of the tax is actually there for there to right. be less of it eventually. Right. And that, to me, just was a very new way of sort of framing the issue. And, 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 and he was in support of, of that? No, no, no. He was trying to describe this okay. in a new way. At the New York Times? At the New York Times, Joe. And, but it was, awesome. it was, it's, nice a, it's, a, it's, it's worth reading because it really sort of makes you think about really understanding what the goal of the tax is. Usually the tax is, tax is to raise revenue. Right. This, is, this is to do something that's Punitive. different and more than that. Because they will go elsewhere. Punitive. All these guys will go yep. elsewhere. Just, I just wish we spent half the time really finding effective ways to use that, because we blow it now, a lot of it. That goes to the heart of the argument of all these guys. Why right. should I give my money to the government to spend when I can well, spend it on my own in self-directed I get that, but then rather the other, give it to I'd rather yes, give it... Yes, but then the other piece... Not Bill, for the write-off, either. I don't even care. But I'd Bill rather also have, talked about... Look, Bill's doing, I think, God's work with, 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 his, with a lot of his wealth. Well, a lot but of them are. Hold, hold on. No, no. But, there are, but a lot of money is being used for, by others for lobbying efforts, for, pol- for politics. There's all, sorts of, there's all sorts of things going on. And I think he would like to clean that right. up, too. And I think part of the problem is there hasn't been an effort to clean up enough of the, as I said, the low-hanging fruit. And now we've gotten to a point yeah, where now there's a, a larger You don't want to get in the business happening. of regulating how people use their philanthropic. You know, I, I don't want virtue or use their me money, how to use my, my philanthropic efforts. Oh, no, that's not a good way for you to use I don't like that cause. I'm, I would just suggest to you that certain 501c3s right, are I masquerading as Look, other... There's always an exception. There's always that's what I say about the Clinton Foundation. I don't want it used for private jets for all the people that that are running the the thing. All right. So, but don't tell me my cause isn't as as worthy as yours. Then you're getting another slippery slope because our causes are totally different. I think. Except uh, the cause of Squawk Box and promoting except, that. Except the cause of Squawk Box. Uh, we have <laughs> to promote career. it, and we and have to uh, we have to uh, get some advertising dollars right now. Right, Kyle. Kyle on the camera. Coming up. What's coming up, Kyle? Coming up. Pulitzer Prize-winning columnist Tom Friedman. Oh, you're talking to me? On China's economic rise. They sold us shallow goods. Clothes we wore on our back, shoes we put on our feet, solar panels we put on our homes. And the race for the White House. The overwhelming political fact in America today is that more than half of Americans feel they don't have a candidate they're excited about. Squawk Pod. We'll be right back. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod. Was I fat? <laughs> Three, 
to start push on Joe. Up on him, too. I got to uh, We're on TV we're now. On TV. We're, we're on TV. We're on TV now. I got to no, soften him. Tom Friedman's here. Before, before we start. Before we start. I look thin. I'm a like this guy. U.S. equity futures jumping after China's commerce. You gotta breathe, though. Uh, Commerce <laughs> Ministry said the U.S. and China have agreed to phase out the tariffs that were imposed during the trade war. Let's welcome our special guest, uh, Tom Friedman. Can we dress like this? Do you think we can? I think this is a great look he's got. I know, but why? Can't, we could pull this off. I mean, yeah. he's a New York Times yeah. foreign affairs communist, Pulitzer winner, author, author of "Thank You for Being Late." Uh, maybe that's why he gets the license to to dress <laughs> like that. We still need to try a little harder. Maybe. You could for respectability. You got to switch it up, guys. You got to Tom, we've always known that there was an election coming, and we've always worried that political expediency would um, would perhaps allow us to to not. Once we started to pursue this track, as long as we've gotten this far, shouldn't we really get some substantive things? What you're seeing now, are are we giving up the? Uh, the possibility of really getting some real action just because we need to do it as November approaches? China. Are we doing something now, just accepting a uh, half measures to get something done? Or is it possible that we get something on IP and, and some of the things, the egregious things we yeah. want to accomplish? You know, I, don't, I don't, haven't seen the deal yet, you know, so it's, it's hard to know exactly. Um, it was never all going to be done in one fell swoop. Um, the problems were too big, and, and, uh, and China's too powerful. You know, um, I, I still want to see the details, Joe, but something we've talked about before, because I was there two years ago and part of a, uh, a dialogue on this whole issue, and, and I'm a hardliner on this. I believe we did have to take this on, um, and, and, and for three reasons, basically. You know, China got ri- went from poverty to middle income, I think using a three-silo strategy. First silo was hard work, smart investments in infrastructure, smart investments in education, and delayed gratification, silo one. Silo two was a stealing others' intellectual property, non-reciprocal trade arrangements, non-compliance with WTO rules, and forced technology transfer. Okay. Silo three was the U.S. Pacific fleet. They should have been paying for our presence there because our fleet reassured all of China's neighbors that China could dominate them economically but not geopolitically, which was very important for their economic expansion. If we let them use that same three-silo strategy to go from middle income to high income around AI, you know, um, machine uh, supercomputers, all these other 5G, we'd be crazy. Someone had to call the game, and it's good that Trump did it. Um, the question now is, you know, how much can you get from them? And I go back to this um, dialogue I was in there a couple of years ago where a senior Chinese official, when I was pushing this hard line, said to me, Joe, Mr. Friedman, you're too late. We're too big. So you got that. There, that mood is there. Okay. And what Trump did was um, uh, because he went so far, unlike any previous president, he got their attention. There's no question. But sitting back there is still a huge amount of sense that we are, we don't have to give too much, you know. So I think, we're, I think both sides need this first stage of the deal, Joe. But what I, f- I was just in China two months ago, and what I heard there was, there's a real worry, though, there, that if they do stages two and three, which would require real domestic reform by Xi Jinping, where he'd have to really take some meat out of the state-owned industries, they're worried that Trump is so unstable as a political character that if he got close to the election and he needed to juice his base, he could turn over the whole table. So I think that's really the tension there between the short term and the long term. In your view, and I've tried to figure this out, yeah. what was Trump's initial motivation for taking on such a difficult 
thing. When, when I think of most conventional politicians yeah. as being... Yeah, risk-averse. And self-interest. Yeah. And, and something that's going to benefit their political yeah. fortunes. And I, I can't figure out, I can't connect the dots to, to where this would be helping Trump. Maybe it does yeah. with his... Ba- is is yeah. that why he did it? Or is it, well, did the, he know the, it would play with, yeah. with nationalist, populist sentiment and, and all the job well, losses? Well, in a way, it, it, cut, it cut across because on the one hand, it would play with some standing up for America in the way previous both Republican and Democratic presidents have not done so aggressively. But it hurt his base in rural America. It certainly uh, you know, took a lot of, so why a lot of pain. Um, I think he's, you know, as I've listened to him and, and, and studied him, he's had a long history of this, feeling this about Japan and about China. And on this issue, um, uh, I, I have to give him credit to, that he basically said, no one else would have done this but me. I think that you know? might be. And, um, I, and I think it's true. Um, uh, and all, see, that's why I wonder, all just to be thrown away at the end because he has to do it. Right. Is, really? Is and that I, 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 I'm worried. That's, I want to see the, the, the deal, I, and I haven't seen it yet. And um, so I, I'm going to be on the more generous side because something had to be done. He oversold what you could get, you know, right away, I think, because it, it, it's a much harder process. But um, let's see what the, what the final numbers are. I'm talking to business people, and right. a lot of people are worried. Um, particularly during the telecom industry. Hey, what's going to happen to Huawei? Huawei. Are we going to um, basically give Huawei a passing? Big concern about that. You know, but isn't the expectation that, that that'll have to be part of this? I mean, that, that's I think good. for the, you know for, for for China, it's a huge. You're talking about their leading technology. It's the company. ultimate pawn in the in the trade. But you know, to me, there have always been two issues here. There's been the broader trade question, soybeans and Boeing's. Right. You know, and then there's Huawei. And what Huawei represents is for. For 30 years, we sold China what I call deep goods, uh, software, computers, stuff that went right. deep into a business or a, or a household. They sold us shallow goods, yep. clothes we wore on our back, shoes we put on our feet, solar panels we put on our homes. What Huawei represents is China is now approaching our technological peer, and they want to sell us deep stuff, stuff that right. goes into our sidewalks, into our walls, into our bedrooms. And what we're telling them, we don't have the shared values and trust for us to buy your deep goods. And that's why Huawei is the tip of a very big iceberg that right. is still going to be there no matter what, what happens this? in the So short we were term. talking to Bill Gates yesterday, yeah. and he actually has a different view. He's yeah, we've been, I've argued with him about this. You know so about, oh, you yeah, know yeah, about his yeah, view. His yeah. view is that, that effectively Boeing also has software in their engines, and if we're right. going to sell them uh, planes, we should be willing to accept it on the other side. Well, you know, and that the software code can be corrupted both ways. When we were questioned about does Windows have some NSA thing in it, we gave to governments the Windows source code, and they could look at it, they could compare it to what was shipped. We created an openness that made them comfortable enough, and Huawei can do the same thing. Well, you know, there is some truth to that in this sense, Andrew. You know, if, if, when I was over in China a couple months ago, I, I actually Googled uh, Huawei and, and cyber. You know what the first from China. Thing, from China. I, 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 okay. I don't remember where I was, but I, I um, and you know what the first thing that comes up, um, Edward Snowden's testimony that the NSC had hacked Huawei, built a backdoor into Huawei systems so they could do two things: one, penetrate all the countries Huawei had installed their technology in, like Pakistan, and at the same time discover whether Huawei was in fact backed by the PLA, the, the People's wow. Liberation Army in China. That's actually the first thing that comes up, and so. I, I think Bill's onto something in that is we are going to be so penetrating each other. Um, you can drive yourself crazy around this or you can just accept that privacy is over. 
So Tom Friedman is the foreign affairs columnist for The New York Times, but a domestic policy issue that engages just about all, Medicare for all. It's a hot-button issue on the campaign trail for the Democratic nomination, as well as how to pay for it. You know, I'm not an expert on health care or whatever, so I've been trying to read uh, right. as many analyses as I had. And the one that made the most sense to me was by Larry Summers yesterday in the Washington Post. I mean, a Democrat, I mean, someone who's predisposed to this. And um, Larry's made a point that a lot of people have made that the whole plan relies on the most optimistic scenarios of where the economy will go for the next 10 years, the money that can in be In terms raised. of both the taxes exactly. and taxes raised and, and also the costs exactly. on, at, on the Medicare on the for all plan. At both ends of it, number, right. number one. And, you know, Larry also pointed out that, um, uh, you know, the New Deal and the Great Society, you know, we're all actually based on middle class also paying for all these expansions of, of new programs. So um, I, my, my position, Andrew, I'm, I actually liked Obamacare. I thought right. it was in the right direction. And I think expanding Obamacare by adding a public option that actually would create a government health um, uh, entity that could actually drive down costs because right. it would have far fewer costs than private health insurance companies. Um, and going back to taxing uh, young people to make sure everyone's in the program so you have a balanced pool. Uh, why did we just junk that whole program uh, uh, that Democrats fought for and, and leap to this without saying, why don't we fix and improve that? But if you watch the election in Kentucky, if you draw any conclusion from Bashir's yep. apparent victory, it's that I think people want to, uh, they want to move forward incrementally. Um, they don't want some radical transformation of the economy in ways that we have no idea. So that's how my question. You travel a lot, yeah. though. Do you feel like within the Democratic Party, that this is going to, that, that, that Elizabeth Warren is going to win the game here? Andrew, I think the overwhelming political fact in America today is that more than half of Americans feel they don't have a candidate they're excited about right. to vote for in the next election. That includes moderate Republicans, yep. independents, and suburban women, and a lot of, um, uh, I would call, you know, pro-business Democrats uh, like myself. I think there's just a lot of people feel unrepresented, and I don't think that's sustainable. Somebody's going to fill that vacuum. Tom, if, you, if you believe that, that a public option would actually save money and, and spend less, see, mm -hmm. my, my point is the, it, it seems like a, 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 a kind of an obvious narrative. You mm -hmm. don't have to have, earn a profit. Right. You don't have all these other things that private Advertising, all yeah. But then the whole reason that, that the private sector seems more efficient in allocating capital is mm -hmm. because there has to be more, more oversight. You mm -hmm. actually have to watch your P's and Q's. Right. And... If you believe the public option really would be cheaper and save money, then go for it. Go for the whole yeah. thing that way. Mm -hmm. If you really believe that, don't yeah. go piecemeal. Don't just try. And I think we've had some, uh, some, some tests of the public option, uh, whether it's the VA mm -hmm. or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. Even the, the fraud that we see still perpetrated in, in Medicare. Right. I'm not sure you do. I think the private sector... Yeah. Insurance would win over a public. Right. I don't think you would see that the public option is a better. It's a it's a legitimate um, uh, question, I think, Joe. And I think I wouldn't start uh, with a massive public. I think we need to iterate. We need to experiment. Try it, we'll try it one try more it. time. See if we can get it right well, this time. Maybe get, get the public sector. The, yeah, they won't maybe. be the DMV of healthcare. Maybe. Let's just see. I think it's worth experimenting. You know, there are a lot of experiments in Obamacare that have not, around cost controls also, that were not implemented. Tom, but I just want to go back to, uh, you said you thought someone had their would fill this void, this middle ground. And I'm just sitting around, looking around, going, who? Who is that person? Unless, unless you think Elizabeth Warren is going to pivot when she's Which I clinches, wonder about. But, well, yeah. when she clinches or, nomination. Or be, or be unable to do anything that she really wants to do. That's yeah, I've right. so many yeah. Democrats tell me that, oh, she'll be. To your point, but let, me, let me give you a, a, what may seem like a strange analogy. But um, 
so I watched the Israeli-Palestinian conflict very closely because I found that over time it is to the wider uh, trends in civilization what off-Broadway is to Broadway. Okay? You see things in miniature there. So I'm always asking, what's playing off-Broadway? You know, airline hijacking scaled there, suicide bombing scaled there, a wall started there. A lot of things start there and go to Broadway. So what, what's just been playing off-Broadway? Um, they just had two elections in about six months. Um, and the last one was very revelatory, I believe. Number one, Netanyahu ran an openly racist, divisive campaign against Israeli Arabs. And Israeli Arabs in the second election said, uh, oh, you talking to me? And they went out and voted in record numbers and created the third largest party in Israel, number one. Number two, Netanyahu was everywhere, on Twitter, on Facebook. Every, he was there all the time. His opponent, Benny Gantz, people were putting a mirror under his nose saying, Benny, are you breathing? E- BB's eating you alive on Facebook and Twitter. And turned out Israelis got sick of it. And actually 250,000 Israelis changed their vote between the first election and the second. Third thing that happened, Netanyahu ran this division. B- uh, uh, ben- Benny Gantz's opponent ran on national unity. I'm not going to offer you the peace process now, folks. I'm not going to offer some radical plan. I just want to pull the country together. So I find it, as a distant mirror, very interesting what's been playing off Broadway. And therefore, I think someone comes with a very simple message. I want to pull the country together. I want to improve health care. I want to work on on Obamacare. Um, And I want to focus on education, which is a little bit what Bashir was doing down there in Kentucky. I think think that person could do very well. But, But pop out a name. Buttigieg. You think Buttigieg could? Yeah. Um, uh, I, I think he's, he's someone who's... I tell you, I, I like the way he talks, Andrew, in this way. I like the way he talks about faith. I like the way he talks about his faith. I like the way he talks about abortion. There is a sensitivity to him that, uh, uh, and, a, and an intelligence that I find... Very, I don't know him, never met him, right. uh, but I find very compelling. You know, there's a lot of America that says grace every evening. And I think we should remember that. And, and, as, uh, and sometimes liberals forget that. And I think... He's someone who, in time, um, I think could catch on. So yes, saying, he's young. You're saying in time. That's yeah, the thing. And, I don't, and I don't know, John, but I'm saying that... Top of the ticket? Um, don't know. And I, I, I know all the liabilities, but look, we just had an African-American Mark president Donald, and Donald Trump. The liabilities I mean, are I, think, other, <laughs> I mean, he's got far fewer than... We broke all the molds as yeah. far as I'm concerned. The one and only Tom Friedman. Thank you. Great to be with you guys. Great to be with you. Teasing next. Next on Squawk Pod. The food delivery wars are hotter than ever. You know what I saw yesterday? A Grubhub bicyclist. Those guys are nuts. They're nuts. They don't wait for lights. They don't. They're, it's dangerous. Anyway, and one player in an already crowded field is looking to come uh, to the public market, but is now the right I use time. this service, like, constantly you, to get sweet green. We'll be right back. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Methane management is a critical part of achieving a lower carbon future. Chevron is taking action to keep methane in the pipe. 
their 2028 upstream methane intensity target is set to be 53% below the 2016 baseline. They're committed to evolving facility designs and operating practices. And they've trialed over 13 advanced detection technologies, including drones and satellites. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash methane. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Delivery. We all do it. And most of us use more than one app. At least we do here at Squawk Pod. The only publicly traded pure food delivery service is Grubhub. The other players like DoorDash, Uber Eats, and Postmates have given that platform a run for its money. Literally, Grubhub has lost more than half its market share so far in 2019. That means the other services I just mentioned are catching up. Postmates filed for its IPO confidentially in February and was supposed to publicly file its prospectus, the Wall Street alarm that a company is about to go public in September. Instead, it closed an additional $225 million funding raise and in so doing further delayed its public debut. So not as exciting as an IPO, but certainly newsworthy. The new infusion of cash brings Postmates valuation up to $2.4 billion. Here's Andrew kicking off with Bastian Lehman, the Postmates CEO. We're thrilled to have you here this morning. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Uh, I'm very good. I want to talk about the business and where it's headed, but I also want to talk a little bit about the private markets versus public markets and the way people are feeling about valuations for a lot of these businesses, in large part because we've seen the valuations, obviously, for an Uber and a Lyft that have come public, uh, come down, frankly. Um, And so many of them, Uber specifically, are now in your business uh, and losing a a ton of money trying to, uh, you're trying to eat their lunch and they're trying to eat eat your lunch. But how how do you see the valuation piece before we get to the actual business component right now? Look, I think for Postmates specifically, you know, having a high valuation was never one of the problems that I had to deal with. Uh, our valuation, I think, increased very slowly over the years. Uh, you know, I was never in a situation to receive a billion dollar in funding from uh, SoftBank. So uh, maybe that has to do with it and maybe that's part of it. But we feel very confident, confident where our valuation is right now. Um, in terms of, uh, I don't know if you can, can you speak about when this, when this IPO may, may or may not come? Look, sometimes good things take a while. You know, we, we, we had a window earlier in the year, but, you know, after uh, somewhat lukewarm reception of tech companies, right. specifically after WeWork and their large losses, I think uh, we're ready to go when we feel that the market conditions are right. We don't need access to capital right now, so we have the time to figure right. out when we want to go out. When you say you have access to capital right now, how long... I mean, given, given both the growth but also the costs that are involved right now, how long can you go without raising any new capital? Oh, to profitability. To profitability, meaning you don't think you have to ever raise additional capital? We will, and I don't, I don't think that that is the, that is the least uh, intelligent thing to do, right. but we, we can operate and would operate the company to get to profitability um, if we decide to. So that's the other question, though. So many of these companies, including Uber, have actually dialed back really their growth plans, in large part because the market is forcing them to um, in, terms of, in terms of the costs uh, and, the, and taking on losses. Are you changing your strategy? I think, I think it's slightly different. I'm not sure if the market is forcing uh, Uber or Uber Eats a uh, unit right. to do so. I think you saw in 2019 a year where a lot of players spent 
uh, against customers. And you know, there are times uh, in a market when the market dynamics are there that you want to acquire customers. Uh, Postmates, DoorDash were the companies that grew the fastest in 2019. Others grew a little right. bit slower. But uh, there are times for spending, and there are times when you rein in spending. How many can there be? And by the way, I should say, I use Postmates. I was just telling him because I, I, I try to get a Kale Caesar. From, I know that I'm just feeding Dressing on the side. Kale Caesar dressing on the side I said from, from Sweet Cream. Because so you said, and I get I it said on kale. Hold I was the right. croutons. I said I get, kale and I was right. And I do hold the croutons. But actually, there are no croutons on, on, on the, uh, the kale Caesar. Caesar. It comes with uh, Parmesan chips. Anyway. Any protein? Uh, there's chicken in there. Uh, okay. Yeah, it's there's chicken. A little bit you need some protein. Well, there's a little carbon footprint but associated is, with that. My question is, how many of these services <laughs> do you think can really exist in the ecosystem, given the network effects? couple of things. There, of course, there will be consolidation at some point in the space. But I believe the right way to think about the space is not a winner-take-all market. I like to think about it more like the media streaming world. You will have different brands in this space that appeal to very different customer bases based on the merchants that they provide access to. Right. I'll give you an example. Of course, Postmates skews very much towards millennials. In L.A., for example, where we're the undisputed market leader, more than 100% market share, then the number two, over 20% of our orders now come from exclusives. And these are not QSRs. We're focusing on local favorites that you would switch the app for. So think about it like the programming equivalent in the media streaming world. That's how I like to think about this space. So so you are curating who is on your platform. You think that is your competitive advantage? Curation and giving access to merchants that you would switch an app for. Yes. Taco Bell. So... I, I, it's not an exclusive that we have on the platform. I also believe that QSRs are misguided if they do exclusives with one right. or two players. He, you see he what happens, happens to be Grubhub a Taco Bell. I'm just saying, about. if you do any exclusive of that, that would be one I'd suggest. Right. I'll bring it back to the team. Okay. <laughs> do, you, do you feel any difference after Grubhub reported and it was received so poorly on the street and then there was this narrative that came about from that warning that people are not, they're not, uh, loyal to the platform. They're loyal to the restaurants. And so to the extent that you said 22% of your restaurants are exclusive, that the rest of it is not exclusive. Those are all customers that can come and go. Look, a couple of things. I think Grubhub sent a shareholder letter they should have sent one or two years ago. I personally think the writing was on the wall ever since we started Postmates eight, nine years ago. And a new breed of companies entered this field, right? If you read the shareholder letter and you see what Grubhub is talking about, they're saying they see no leverage in the business, right? Well, Barnes & Noble didn't see any leverage in the logistics of shipping books either. See what happened to Blockbuster. We've been there before. The idea that bad management equals a bad market is a shoe that doesn't fit the new breed of companies. So this is just a Grubhub problem. 100%. It's not an industry problem. Can you just speak to, you, you mentioned consolidation. You said ultimately there should be consolidation in this space. How do you think about that now in terms of your, your own future as an independent company versus a consolidator or consolidatee? Well, we don't think about it on a day-to-day basis. We, we operate a business that will be a very sustainable business that will be in many cities uh, uh, in the U.S. and hopefully around the world, and that's what we're focused on. Okay. Uh, we're going to leave the conversation there. It's very good to see you. Great seeing you, too. And we'll uh, order some food, maybe make it some, get some breakfast. A Postmates Caesar, some breakfast. Maybe. I'll get the Kel Caesar. I'll get you something from Taco Bell. I don't, I think they have something. I, I, I think Grubhub handles Taco Bell. Who, okay. Do you know who handles Taco Bell? I wouldn't know. You wouldn't know. Okay, fair enough. We can find out. You can, you can stonewall all you want. We'll find out. Let's get to the bottom of it. <laughs> 
That's the show for today. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. I certainly don't know what a $3,000 bottle of wine tastes like. Do you? No. I'm, uh, any, you know, is there any universe? I'm good with two buck chuck. I'm good with two buck chuck. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, subscribe to Squawk Pod on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. We don't care where you listen. We just want you to listen to Squawk Pod. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 